Hello and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast, developed by the Leva Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. We are a group of fundraising professionals here to grow and learn with you, our listeners. Twice a month, our co-hosts are joined by a special guest to talk about all things related to being a stronger fundraiser and nonprofit leader. A huge thank you to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations, for making this show possible. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Here are your hosts. Hello, I'm Ali Schneider, and we're here today with my co-host, Christy Ackley, and our guest, Michelle Edgerton. Michelle is here with us today to discuss a new way of approaching fundraising by focusing on fundraising for the collective community. After more than 15 years of working in various organizations as a fundraising professional, marketing and communication senior executive, Michelle Edgerton founded the Edgerton Group, an innovative strategic fundraising and organizational development consulting firm. Michelle is also the president of the board of directors for AFP Minnesota and a member of the global board of directors for AFP. Ali, I'm so excited to have Michelle with us today. There's been a lot of buzz around this kind of conversation, and so I, I really can't wait to hear Michelle's perspective on it. Yes, this is going to be a great episode, so I hope we get lots mm-hmm. of listeners. This is a great way to fundraise. So welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much, Ali. I'm so happy to be here with you and with Christy. This is going to be fun. So much fun. So Michelle, I know Ali introduced you a little bit, but if you want to just give our listeners a little bit more of your background, um, who you are, you know, why you do this work, any of the stuff you think our listeners would care about. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I'd like to add to my bio, because this is hot off the press, I have accepted a new position. So I still have my fundraising consulting group, the Edgerton Group, but I have decreased my work there because I'm the new chief development officer for United States of Care, which is an organization that is based out of Washington, D.C. and here in the Twin Cities, focusing on healthcare access and equity. So excited about that oh. new role. Yeah, you're the first. It's, Congratulations. It's now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So that's an update for my career. But how did I start as a fundraiser? Wow, just like everyone else, this is what I went to school for. This is when I was a little girl. I said when I grew up, I was going to be a fundraiser. Not so much, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I started my work in programs. And I remember after taking a little hiatus, to go to medical school, to be honest, and deciding that that's not quite it and um, didn't finish that part, went back into program work and came through the door saying, hey, I want to do something else. And so an opportunity and as a fundraiser came up, I took that, I was offered that from my organization and the rest literally has been history. I have done almost everything in fundraising, seriously. I've worked my way through, and my last role before starting Edgerton Group was as a chief advancement officer, and here I am back with Edgerton Group and as a chief development officer. Well, like Christy said, congratulations. That's very exciting and very relevant organization to work for right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's why I said yes, and it Mm kind of matches that earlier career goal of mine in medicine as well. Right. Yeah. I like that. So let's get started into this topic. Can you define fundraising for us? Yes, I can do that. So when I think about fundraising for us, it's really the collective fundraising. It's 
taking into account every member of the community and identifying what those gaps and needs are in the community, the resources and coming together as a collective group, everyone and raising the necessary funds so that we can have a community that is safe and productive for everyone. Fundraising for us takes away those silos and those dividers between donors and program participants and fundraisers and organizations. And it says really quite plainly and acknowledges that we're all in this together and that we should work together to fulfill those needs. Awesome. So Michelle, um, I know that there's been some talk about community centric fundraising. Is that what fundraising for us is, or is this different from that? That is a great question. It's actually different from that. There are some components I would say of it and that particular the um, attention to the community itself as well as, and the recognition that it's more than just donors who make this mm-hmm. happen. So that is certainly a part of it. And it's different though, because as I approach this, I think about the role of the donor, the role of the fundraiser, the organization, and the community in doing this work. So it's not quite the same. I like to think of it as in the middle between the two more dominant thoughts around fundraising. That would be donor-centered fundraising and community-centric fundraising. And I say, you know what? It's about everyone in this Mm -hmm. continuum as you're doing this work, the collective group. That's awesome. I I love that. Um, Because I think there are some... The spirit of community-centric fundraising is really cool, but I, I think there's some practical issues to that concept. So I love that it's in the middle and it's kind of merging the the great things about both mm-hmm. into this, this concept. Awesome. So how is it different? Like, what would you say differentiates it the most from traditional fundraising? When I think about traditional fundraising, I really think about that was all really dependent upon relationships, like solely. It was... Who did you know and your connections within the community? It was, You would ask your buddy over a golf game or breakfast or whatever if they would support this thing that you're interested in. And, and they would ask you to support the thing that they were interested in. And I'm not saying that there was anything really wrong with that, but it really was an exclusive way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Because what if I was a member of the community and I didn't have those connections? I You wouldn't be able to raise funds for things that you knew were needed in the community. So it differs from that because Mm -hmm. what really is at the center of it is what's the community need. Mm -hmm. It's all centered Mm -hmm. around those gaps within the community, the need as it is reflected for all members of the community. And then in addition to identifying that need, we're asking the entire community to come together to help meet that need, to provide the resource for that need. It recognizes that it's not just donors who have something to contribute toward Mm -hmm. our communities being better, that everyone in the community does. It's an exchange. And that's what I like about it. And that's what differentiates it for me. That makes so much sense because our donors could say, oh, I want to fund this thing for cats. And it's like, well, we know that's not a need right now. So let right. let me tell you what the community is saying that they actually need. Absolutely. And then let me also bring you into your community because it's mm-hmm. your community and let you listen right. to your neighbors. See the terminology that I'm using? It's really about 
doing this together and us in it together. So neighbors talking to neighbors and not being separated by, by the things that really don't matter. Right. And I think you've said this before, but, and like includes the donors, the people we're serving, the people who work in the programs at the organization, everybody. Everybody, because everyone has something in this. And when I've talked about this before, I actually played a little corny song. It's from High School Musical. (laughs) And it says, we're all in this together. And I love that song as it relates to this concept of fundraising for us. That's what it's about. We're all in this together, recognizing that hand in hand, we can take a stand to quote the song and make all of our dreams come true. Why not finish the line? (laughs) Right. So it sounds really amazing, right? The idea around community, we're all in it together. What does it actually look like though? Like what is a, a, when you shift to this mindset in your fundraising, how does that play out for Mm -hmm. those development people that are listening on this call right now? Okay. So I like to talk about the R's of fundraising for us. And they are that fundraising for us is relatable it is reciprocal and it's relational. So what does this look like? It looks like when we are talking within community that we realize that there is an existing relatability between the donors and the people in the community who receive the programs and those fundraisers, and that we focus more on the things that we share, the things that we're more alike about than those things that differentiate us. Because when you think about people as being a part of something with you and you do not other them, then you look at them as neighbors and you look at them as friends. It's also recognizing that these challenges that our community has, it's not just isolated to one group, that in actuality, it affects and impacts all of us. So you approach this from that stance of it being relatable with everyone within the community. The other R that I like to talk about is that it's reciprocal. And what does that mean? That really values that everyone, the people and the groups, that we have something similar that we can share with each other. That it's not just one person or one group is doing something for the other. It's looking to see what is needed, what can be contributed by all groups. And I think that's just something that we've not always done in the past. You talked about it, Allie. People have come into community and they they think they know what community needs. And then they go about the business of funding that thing. But they've not really listened. And they've not asked community, what is it that they contribute towards their own well-being? They're not just sitting there waiting for people to come in and save the day. It's like, are you in this with me? which reminds me so much of one of my favorite sayings. And um, I was told to me by my college professor who participated in the first voting in South Africa back in 1994. And so when he came back, and you've, you've heard this saying before too, he shared with us that what the people said was, if you're here because you've come to help us, then mm-hmm. you just should not have come. But if you're here, because your liberation, your freedom, your well-being is bound and tied with us, then come let us work together. So that's Mm. that concept of it being reciprocal. 
How else do you approach this as a fundraiser? The word that we all love is relationships. It is relational. And it's how do we get people to connect on many different levels? How do we learn and grow and know each other? So what does this look like in everyday terms? It means that we're not just sharing the stories of people who are in community. We're allowing them to share their own stories. And they're not just sharing them to our communications teams who are then writing these beautiful stories or newsletters. They actually get to sit down at the table with their neighbor, AKA mm -hmm. the donors, Mm -hmm. and have a conversation. And I've seen this happen and it's been so wonderful to see donors and community recipients or participants or program participants sit down together and relate as, as humans and seeing where those gaps are. So that's how you approach it. We don't separate things as much as we do now. You know, mm -hmm. we we just put we do things so much differently um, when we know donors are coming. You know, we put on our best <laughs> look in the shop and all that. You know, why are we trying to do that? Why are we not? Why are we hiding the reality of what's going on in community? Mm -hmm. And why are we accepting? It also looks like you're not accepting gifts that you know will really not have an impact. If the wall does not really need to be painted again, then don't accept that as a gift. <laughs> you know, talk right. to the donor, have them talk and say, you know, this wall does not need to be painted. We have, it's been painted 10 times. These are the real needs in the community. So it sounds like you're saying, whether you're trying to explain this kind of um, fundraising for us to the donor, to the recipients, anybody, it's just having conversations and making those relationships and having everybody involved. Everybody involved. Okay. No big eyes and little U's, no siloing, no those people over there. Everyone's involved. I was trying to think of uh, like if you had any takeaways for how to do this, but it like really is just communicate, find out what's actually going on, talk to people. Yeah. That's my favorite word to communicate. It really is conversations and communications. And I've seen throughout the pandemic and here in the Twin Cities, particularly after the murder of George Floyd, communities coming together. I never before had I had donors to come to me as they did during this time and say, Michelle, I want to do something. But I recognize the privilege that I have. And I recognize that I don't exactly know what needs to be done. Can you connect me? <laughs> That's my other word, connection. I was like, absolutely. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. as a as a funder, you can come with your own areas of interest. Like if you really are interested in education and there is a need for education um, resources in the community, I'm not going to try to convince you that you should be funding, I don't know, food. I'm going to find the area that does resonate with you because you're going to lean in more. And notice I said lean in more. I didn't say you're going to give more. You're going to lean mm -hmm. in more. And mm -hmm. have those conversations because this is a, something that is of interest to you as well. So it's 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 the communications piece and 
not being afraid to let people see the real. So I want to circle back to, um, you know, bringing the program participants or whatever you want to call them into the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Our neighbors into the conversation. I'm on the board of a domestic violence organization. And Mm -hmm. I know that there are many, many people that have benefited from those services that don't want to have that conversation with donors, that they don't want to talk about the things that they have gone through or the horrors they may have seen. So how would you how would you talk to a fundraiser in that situation? You know, the, the development staff at, at that organization that I'm on the board of, yeah. of how, how would they bring those people into the conversation if they're not, if they don't want to? Yes. You ask those, you ask them, can I share your story? Then? Hmm. Do you trust me with it? Mm-hmm. Because I, I also have experience of having, People share their stories when they weren't ready and when they did, or they really didn't want to, didn't know how to. So then if you're in a relationship with that person, as we should be, then Mm -hmm. hopefully they will trust you to do that, to convey their story. So you get that permission and, and then you can move forward. And then you also share what you intend to share so that they're still a part of it. It's not just, okay, just trust me. I'm going to take everything you said to me and I'm going to bundle it in a story and there you go. No, it's still an exchange, but if they want to remain anonymous and they do not want to share, you know, that's understandable too. When you've lived through some of the horrors that people have lived through, no one wants to keep living that Mm -hmm. over and over again. But can you trust me as your neighbor? to share this story because I know, and I believe that it's going to help someone else. Mm-hmm. So that's that beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of going along with what Christy said, do you have any other ideas for how we can communicate this kind of a change through our organizations or even through our fundraising teams? Mm-hmm. I do. And I love talking to other fundraisers about this because there's some fear because they're mm-hmm. like, so what are the metrics here? I know that this particular <laughs> one works. I mean, we have the data that supports that yeah. X, X fundraising works. And let me also say really quickly before I go to that, answer your question. I'm not talking against the other ways that we fundraise. I mm-hmm. am not. So I don't want someone to send a little nasty note to you or to me saying that Michelle says she doesn't like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's another way that we can do this as well. So back to your question. Um, The metrics behind it, what you do is you start small. There has to be buy-in and what is your organization? What does your organization value? Hmm. Let's start with organizational values around fundraising, around programming, program delivery. If you're in an organization that's not as concerned about those relationships and is really just about, you wonder why they're even in business, is it really just for you to have these relationships and raise money? It's not going to work there. It's -hmm. just not going to work. So you start with those kind of conversations. What do we value here? What is it that we're hoping to see occur in our community? And if you can get the buy-in and the agreement there, then you start piece by piece. 
I like to start with communications because that seems to be, it, it's like there's some simple tweaks that we can do in our communications that takes the focus off of just a donor and also stops us from printing these heart throbbing, you know, wrenching stories that are so disrespectful sometimes to our program participants. So we start there. We start when we're in our communications, we talk about partnership instead of, if it were not for you, then we wouldn't be here today. I mean, how -hmm. true is that anyway? If it wasn't for (laughs) that one gift, your whole organization would not exist. Not true. So you can start in the communications area. How do you talk about your donors? How do you talk about the program, the fundraisers, the organization itself? How do we talk about it as a collective group and not as just individuals and one's better than the other? So that's a real, real simple way to me is to start within the communications area of the organization and how we talk about the work and what we're asking for. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I like that. That's a really easy way to also talk to donors about it and continually talk about the community. And let me tell you, I'm just going to warn you, everyone (laughs) is not on board with this. (laughs) Everyone is not on board. There's some donors who are like, what do you mean? Like they like being in that position. And well, like you said before, with education, if someone wants to go for education, yeah, we're not going to totally push you towards something that we know you have no passion mm-hmm. for, but also trust us as the professionals and our organization to know what is really needed. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm not just talking about that, Allie. I'm talking about we have done a great job as fundraisers of centering our work around donors and mm-hmm. putting them in this wonderful position, um, this platform. And some people have gotten used to it and they want that and they rather like it. So Mm -hmm. when you start talking about not having that same approach, that's not always accepted. And so you have to ask and and decide as an organization, are you open to maybe even losing some funding? Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to paint this picture like it's easy, it's rosy, start fundraising for us and you're going to raise exponential money. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we fundraise for us because of our ethics around fundraising and what we value around our community. I I hear what you're saying, Michelle, but it also seems to me like if you do fundraise in this way and you build that relationship and you really find donors that connect with your mission and and who you are and they see this as their neighbors, they're going to be long-term donors. They're going to be loyal donors. They're probably going to be larger donors in the end. Yes. And so there might be a painful period of time if you shift this mm-hmm. mindset where you have a, a short, and, and there are some organizations that can't afford that. Legitimately, right. they can't afford that painful period of time, right? Um, <laughs> but there are <laughs> that, there are many that can, yeah. you know, whether they think so or not, <laughs> they can. <laughs> and in the long run, you're going to be more sustainable and be able to have a greater impact and a real impact on what your community needs. Right. And hopefully you can sleep at night. Right. Isn't that be great? You know, you can <laughs> sleep at night because you recognize that your neighbors, you're working together and that you didn't just promise the world or you didn't just say something that's just not even deliverable or that you can do. And during that period that you said, 
Also, during that period where you could lose funders, you also can gain new ones. Mm -hmm. I love what's happening in our world of philanthropy right now, too. When you have people who are looking for those organizations who are doing it just a little bit differently, people Mm -hmm. who are leaning in and focusing and doing things through the lens of diversity, equity, inclusion, access. There are donors who are looking for that and looking for how many times I've applied for grants before through organizations, and I'm thrilled when they ask, so what do communities say? Does community need this? Mm -hmm. And and then if you say, oh, yeah, we know they do. How do you know? Did you talk to them? (laughs) So there's Mm -hmm. a shift that has already really occurred. So this is I'm not the first to really to talk about this. Funders were saying this. Foundations were saying, no, we're not going to just give you money because you think organization that you know what community needs. We need to know that you've made that investment in the community to hear and talk and be relational Mm -hmm. with them to know. Are they on your board? Oh, that's another thing. You asked for an application. Let's really have um, community on the board of directors and not just these advisory boards that have no power. Mm-hmm. The the governing boards where they get a legitimate vote. Mm-hmm. I like that. I don't think I've heard you talk about that before. Yeah, yeah, that would be very important. You know, um, I was just just putting together a training actually about boards and uh, and this concept that we've had for years around one hundred percent participation, board participation in fundraising. Mm-hmm. And how alienating that can be when we need to bring community into our board. That when we set this expectation that every board member needs to contribute, or especially if we say at a certain level, mm-hmm. we're automatically going to be going after, you know, these right. major, these donors that are, are able to make major gifts or who have connections or whatever. And we're going completely against our values mm-hmm. in doing that. And Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I think we're we're a disservice to our organizations when we have that requirement. Instead, our board members should be taught, treated like every other donor and have the conversations and the community and all of that mm-hmm. stuff and make the decisions together, right? Absolutely. And back to what and to what I'm saying and value whatever their contribution can mm-hmm. be. If right. you're only recruiting a board member because they can give a certain level, that says something too really Mm -hmm. loudly about where your focus is. We should open it up to everyone. Now, Christy, I'm still on the fence about whether or not we should require or or ask for 100% participation. I do think that it is a good representation that shows that the board is in alignment and supports the organization. I know for sure I'm not in favor of there being a minimal requirement. And let me tell you why I say this too. I also think that people who work at at organizations should also contribute to the organization. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let that rest for a minute. <laughs> but I do. How can I ask you to invest in this organization that I don't even invest in as a as a fundraiser? Mm-hmm. I'm not giving anything outside of my time that I'm being paid for. I'm being paid for my time. Mm-hmm. I'm not volunteering that time. And people will say, well, we don't get paid a lot. Well, but you agree to work at that rate. Mm-hmm. So what is your message of support? I don't know. That could be controversial though. <laughs> Christy, I'll just <laughs> say it out loud. But I just think that we need to value 
whatever level of gift people can contribute. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm one side or the other. I'm saying that the board needs to have the conversation and think about the implications of what happens when you make a requirement like that. You know, there are some boards, I mean, I think about like our, our cap agencies, you know, they're required Mm -hmm. to have a certain percent on their board of their program participants. Well, I Mm -hmm. know, thinking back to my childhood, there were times where even if you, if my mom had served on a board and somebody had said, whatever's, meaningful to you. Right. $25 mm-hmm. would have been meaningful to her and $25 might've decided whether she could mm. have gas in the car. Right. You know? So right. what if, and I know we're getting a little bit off topic here. Sorry no, about that. <laughs> but what if, what if it looked like, well, maybe they volunteer instead. That's their contribution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, you know, but there's, there's value to that. I mean, we give everyone else an in-kind form for their for, for when they're right. doing things like that. So right. that's still, it's saying, what is your investment and a meaningful mm-hmm. one from you? What we're saying today is, Chris, we got to be creative here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, if we want to, one of the worst things we can do is to invite community and not welcome community. There's yeah. a difference. There's a difference between being, I'm, I'm at this table now but mm-hmm. I'm not welcomed here. They're, they've not made any accommodations based on who I am and what I bring. Right. It's just that, okay, you can come, but we want you to assimilate. We want you to become like we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not fun either. I've been in that situation before. So it's fundraising for us, a recognition of everyone who's mm-hmm. a part of this equation. I like that. That's and I awesome. like that you've brought up investment a lot because yeah. the more you feel like people are invested in the organization, if you have the community as a part of that, then you're invested in the community and you're invested in what happens. And that just makes everything better. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, I use the word investment a lot and I know some people do not like it. They, they want to say, well, that's a corporate term and there's not necessarily a return. I don't agree. It is an investment and Mm -hmm. and we're not charities, these nonprofit organizations. We're not just charities. You're just giving your your change to. It's an investment because the return on the investment is a better community Mm -hmm. for all of us. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm not just signaling out the human service organizations. When we invest in the arts in the community, that's a better community for all of us as well. When we invest in our hospitals, every component it makes for a full, better community for all. And that's mm-hmm. an investment. Absolutely. Yep. And people look at their gifts as investments, no matter the level. So we need to start thinking about it like that too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree. I want to circle back to a, a, a comment you made earlier about, you know, if a donor, a donor comes and says, I want to donate to this, and that's not the work that you do that you might help them find mm-hmm. where that work is being done. That's probably another scary like <laughs> concept. So, you know, if I show up at Allie's work, which is the Animal Humane Society, for those of our listeners that don't know, and say, Allie, I want to give you this $10,000 donation, but you're going to start vet services in India. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just <laughs> You know, um, 
or, you know, maybe something that's not even related to animals. I show up and say, you should start this new program, whatever. Mm -hmm. For Allie to go, no, Christy, (laughs) this organization over here would actually serve you better. I, I, I think there's a lot of fundraisers out there that would go, I'm going to do what? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's, let's, let's turn it to a different, let's look at it from a different angle. Okay. Let's say you do not do that and you accept this and then you start doing this other thing and then this donor goes and then you're stuck with this thing that you can't fund, you can't continue. You've contributed hours, energy, and you've gone off mission mm-hmm. for something mm-hmm. that's not sustainable. Not only is it not sustainable, it doesn't contribute to the mission of your organization. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it costs you more to say yes than it does for you to say no. That's a really good point. <laughs> People are, we have organizations who have these programs because Someone said they would fund it. So they created it and they never fund at 100%. Am I right? (laughs) Never is it 100%. (laughs) So then you have to divert funds from programs that are mission aligned to support this because someone offered you money. But if you look at ourselves as being part of a community, then your neighbor's organization Mm -hmm. does this work. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't you refer them? One of the donors who came to me this summer, not this summer, it was a year ago, just after um, George Floyd, the organization that I was consulting with, they didn't do the work that they were interested in. So I called one of my fundraising friends at an organization that did it. And they gave a sizable gift over there. And I was happy about that because that makes our community better for everyone. And I say this, if Domino's can do it, surely we can. And you're like, what are you talking about, Michelle? Have you seen the commercials <laughs> where Domino's, they're giving mm-hmm. gift cards to other restaurants, mm-hmm. to their customers. And I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but I'm just going to leave it at that. It's because of an idea of helping the community because they're helping mm-hmm. other restaurants that are smaller, um, local, and if Domino's can do that, come on, y'all. We, we can do that. Because at the end of the day, we want people to eat, right? That's, right. that's what they want. Mm-hmm. They want people to eat and to support the community. And that's what we should want. We should want people to be, to be joyful and to be thriving and successful in community. And, and maybe we're not serving the right thing at our org. But my neighbor mm-hmm. is. Just mm-hmm. an idea as you were talking, Michelle, that Ooh. if you really help someone like go through that journey and you talk to them like, well, why do you want to help animals in India? Maybe we don't do this, but maybe your thing is that you just want to help animals that are in really need. Like maybe we do mm-hmm. do something like that. And if not, and I help you find another organization, who knows that donor might come back and be like, I still want to give a gift to you because you helped me through this and right. helped me find somebody else. Right. So, I don't There's think you're losing be- that gift. Right. There's a lot to be said for showing kindness and respect and helping people find their their north, their true mm-hmm. north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People are really drawn to you when you're authentic and real and transparent. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I agree, Allie. I think that likely that those donors will come back at some point. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be the same size of gift, you know, <laughs> but they're going to be drawn to somebody who was, was real with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or their friends may come to mm-hmm. them. And then because of the conversation you've had, they can mm-hmm. say, you know what? I talked to Allie over there mm-hmm. and this is what it, it just happens, but it happens. Yes. The foundation of all of this is trust. We've mm-hmm. been competing against neighbors for long enough. Right. And look where it's getting us. Right. So Michelle, have you seen anybody successfully in your organization successfully kind of shift towards this or try to help any organization do that? That is an excellent question. I would say yes. I have worked with several organizations and have introduced this concept and began chipping away at how we can really bring it into fruition and put it into motion. And that that area that starts it is in communications, like I said before. And so we've seen those tweaks in those edits and communication. I've gone as far as working with organizations and have them to bring all of their written materials, the newsletters, the don't the gift acknowledgement letters, and you know, put them up presentation mode and go through it piece by piece on the edits just to change that language in there. And so then how do you measure success? Are you saying, well, Michelle, did their fundraising increase or that? We're still waiting to see that, just just okay. to be honest. I mean, yeah. that's that data part. I mean, how many years did it take for us to get data to support that the other fund type ways of fundraising mm-hmm. did produce the results that we wanted? Right. So yeah, I, I will say that I know with one organization for their year end campaign, we changed it completely. We changed it from this letter to this smaller size postcard. I mean, we just did a lot of little things that made it just spot on a mission. And they had their largest year-end giving campaign that year that they've ever had. And it was That's quite awesome. intentional. So, yeah. That yeah. makes sense that it's a more long-term, like you're going to introduce this language and you're going to repeat it mm-hmm. over and over again and make sure that people understand that it's a community and that Absolutely. makes sense that it's more long-term. Absolutely. And we still apply the strategy that we've learned the science of fundraising to, mm-hmm. to these principles. It's just how we approach it. It's really talking mm-hmm. about our approach and our mindset around the people who are involved in this fundraising equation and, and who we include in the fundraising equation. Because that's been part of it too. We've excluded some really important people mm-hmm. in the past, which is, I'll say it, which is um, why community-centric fundraising is so um, has resonated so because it has mm-hmm. brought back who the community, which had been excluded for so long. Mm-hmm. I love thinking about it like a formula that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too analytical. <laughs> no, I love that. I love it, and those are kinds of questions that I get a lot of from those analytical people like you, Allie, but it's it's true because I think as fundraisers, we've worked really hard to legitimize our profession. Mm -hmm. And what Mm -hmm. I mean is people would say, oh, like anyone can be a fundraiser. No, or (laughs) because people just thought that all we did was we had coffee, we went to lunch, we went to dinner, 
I know right. you gotta have heard. I know you've heard that before. What do you do as a farmer? You just go, you eat and drink all day, and somehow <laughs> in the middle of that, there's money that's raised. And so uh-huh. now we have whole schools that are dedicated to fundraising, and we mm-hmm. have degree programs and certifications and all of these things. So we're not gonna abandon that those steps, those tremendous strides that we've made towards really legitimizing and our, our profession. But we're, we're saying that in, in some sense, we're making it um, an equal playing for everyone. And mm-hmm. I have to add this part. The reason why I couldn't just do some of the other forms of fundraising is because they just didn't work for me as a Black mm-hmm. woman. They, they just did not. So I needed some science. I needed some real information to share. I needed to truly be that connector as a fundraiser within the community. Because if I, and, and then I was new to the Twin Cities, if I had to rely on who my parents went to school with, mm-hmm. or, you know, who they do business with, then I would never be, I would not be a successful fundraiser. I just mm-hmm. did not have that network. Right. But if I can rely on, okay, here we are in this community. These are the identified gaps. Let's all of us come together. Let's have a convening. We love that word, right? Let's talk about this and let's walk away with some ways that we can help meet these needs. Everyone involved. Yeah. Well, I I love it, Michelle. I got to say, I had not heard I mean, I didn't watch the webinar that we did (laughs) with you before, so I had not heard about fundraising for us. And those listeners out there, we did do a legacy at, no, what is it? Legacy giving at lunch. Thank you. Legacy giving at lunch webinar with Michelle um, back in November, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So go watch that too. I'm sure there's a lot of really good information there as well. So I'd never heard this concept before. I mean, I, I am do fundraising as well, but community centric versus donor centric has been the debate back and forth. Right. You know, and, and Mm -hmm. sometimes, um, a really agitated debate, to be honest. Sometimes I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little nervous right now. I'm putting it on the air because I do not want people from those camps to come after me. (laughs) Right. After this conversation, because I'm being really intentional with my words, but I'm not talking negatively, I'm just saying that there is, let's stop debating the two and let's bring Mm -hmm. them together. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think you've done with this, with this fundraising for us. I I was not sure how this conversation was going to go today. I'm going to be honest because I have some opinions on donor centric and community centric. And I I just really think that you've pulled the good things out of both and, and created a concept that seems to make sense to me and seems like it will benefit everyone. Well, mm-hmm. thank you. I hope it makes sense to our listeners and others and that they that you all walk this journey with me. This is still in the developing phase. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a colleague who gave me this title. We were talking about a presentation and this is what came up, fundraising for us. And I love it. And I was sitting down and then that's when the R's came up. You know, what does that mean? And mm-hmm. then we had to bridge out why. So it's still in the works. And but if people can really grasp onto the spirit and the essence of it, and um we can talk about the tactical work as well, 
And one day, Allie, we're going to have the metrics and the data to support <laughs> it, the analytics there. Then it'll be a great way for us to approach this work that we all love so much. That isn't truly inclusive. Mm-hmm. I think that this is really inclusive. We're acknowledging everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you're really looking at the heart of fundraising for us, yeah, it can ebb and flow because you're going to be taking input from donors, from the community, from our neighbors. Like if you yeah. really are fundraising for us, yeah, the concept of it might change if you're really trying to do it that way. That's mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do here. I just think we'll end up with a better community of fundraising and fundraisers and you all are catching me at one of my moments where I'm absolutely just excited about being a fundraiser. I was just in Virginia for a board meeting with the Global Association of Fundraising Professionals. And I just love it when I'm with this group of fundraisers and we sit down and we strategize and we talk. And I I truly can say that that I love being a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. And awesome. I just want to see how we can do this and do this better. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And I think that'll be a great place to ask our very last question. Okay. Michelle, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, around fundraising or just? Around anything. Anything. Well, I got to go back to my grandmother who told me when I was really young, start out how you can hold out. I'm going to let you think about that. Yeah. It means when you start projects or when you start partnerships in life, do it in a way that's sustainable, if we were to put it in modern terms. Do what you know you can do throughout the life of it. And when she told me this, we were talking about relationships. I got married two days before I graduated from college. And instead of me using that first year as the honeymoon phase and you know, I'm fixing his plate. I'm from the South and that's the kind of stuff we do down there. Right. (laughs) And I'm doing everything around the house and I'm just doing this stuff. I started my marriage in a way that could be sustainable. I knew Mm. that for the rest of my life, I was not fixing my husband's plate. (laughs) I was not going to be the only one cleaning. And there were just certain things that sometimes you do when you're newly married because it's fun and it's, it's all these things, but it's not sustainable. You can't hold out that way. You can't be that way forever. So I just, that's the best advice. And I apply it to everything because I knew one day I was going to have children. And that means that some of that attention wasn't going to be on this partner, was going to be on the children. And I didn't want somebody over there sulking because I'm not doing whatever. So that's, that's the best advice. And I really apply it to everything is to start out how you can hold out. So that's some Southern advice from my grandmother from North Carolina that I I love that. It makes life better for everybody involved. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That is really great advice. I mean, because it, it really does apply to just about Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. Yeah. And Allie is a newly married, so that's timely advice for Allie as well. (laughs) Oh yeah. I, I barely cook. So (laughs) we're setting that expectation right away. (laughs) Or if it's some of those other things, I mean, I'm in my generation, you know, it was about those domestic things, but it could be like, do you really think that for the rest of your married life, you're going to do something cute 
every time you see your partner, you're going to greet them with a kiss. Right. Like, is that, so don't set that up as if you're going right. to do that. If you probably can't do it, I mean, make it sporadic or whatever you need to do to create this environment because people love and they get accustomed to you doing what they want, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and when you change it, it's not always a good thing. Exactly. Right. Very true. Well, thank you, Michelle, so much for being with us today, for that great advice, for the really intriguing conversation. I'm sure that our listeners have got a lot to process and think about um, in the ways that they do their work every day. So thank you so much for being with us. This has been really, really great. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And to our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, we now have an Instagram page as well. So you can find us on Instagram. You'll stay up to date then on all of the new episodes coming out and all that stuff if you do those things. And if you found this episode or any of our other episodes valuable, please share these with your colleagues. We want to make sure that we're providing the best professional development conversations that we can for all of our colleagues so we can all do better and raise more for our communities. Thank you so much for listening and hope you join us next time. Thank you for listening to today's show. We hope you gained some helpful insights or practical advice. And if you did, we'd love to hear about it. So please take a moment and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or comment on one of our recent social posts. And if you send us a screenshot of your review, we'll send you a Legacy of Generosity sticker. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. And follow us on LinkedIn at Leave a Legacy MN or Instagram at Legacy of Generosity Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.